This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, September 3rd, 2022. Dornall, how was your week? Hey, man. My week was good. It was also terrible for reasons I'm not going to get into. <clears throat> but. I've set aside all of life's problems, all the stressors of my existence uh, that have weighed on me this week, and I cast it all off for you guys. I will say, highlight of my week was getting back to Trollopolis. It feels so good to have a regular game. And it is... More than just having a game, because playing online is, I want to say, dreadful. There's lots of problems with playing online. Everybody seems to do it. That seems to be the preferred way to play nowadays. But uh, just having good people and sitting around and joking around, a lot of people lost that in 2020. And... Uh, and you know, I'm the I'm one of the people that did. You know, I lost a lot of that. Um, not necessarily through any fault of my own. Just lots of people are nuts. So having that, uh, having that face to face contact and uh, playing playing the game with people who want to get along and have fun is top shelf. I love it. <clears throat> Plus, lots of exciting things are happening in the game, uh, which. I could go into detail ad nauseum and completely bore everyone, but uh, let me throw that back at you, DW. How was your week? Um, yeah, I've had a mostly good week. Um, still working 12-hour days, um, and spending the couple hours I have uh, – before bedtime, uh, watching stuff, trying not to watch everything for the show. And then last night I actually got in some playtime so on on my computer. So that was good too. Uh, we can talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my head is fuzzy today. I need to get with the program. Let me tell you. <laughs> Um, yeah, man, I'm the same way. I, uh, I, I slept in and I still have not completely woken up yet. Uh, it's one of those days, man. Well, I, uh, I watched a whole bunch of stuff in the last couple of weeks and I'll be honest, I, I felt like I should have written the titles of some of it down and I didn't. And then I forgot them. I have a, an amazingly large amount of things I have to switch between every day. And so unless I'm focused on that task, I just wipe all of it from my mind. And so I won't remember it unless it's time to work on that task. And then I, you know, focus on it and move all that back into the forefront of my mind. Um I mean, seriously, folks, you have no idea the vast amount of things I'm thinking I have to think about just on different days and have to switch between. Um, He's spinning a lot of plates, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. And so uh, I didn't write them down and I really forgot some of them. And this morning I was... uh, this morning, the last uh, half hour before we went live, um, I was desperately searching in uh, the services I'm watching right now to find what was it that I watched in the last couple of weeks to remind myself so when we went on the air, I could talk about them. And it turns out that HBO doesn't keep uh, watch history. So you can't find out what you watched on HBO Max. Um, 
Amazon Prime does, but it turns out I hadn't, I'd only watched one movie on there since uh, watching the Terminal List. So, um, you know, hey, I watched the Terminal List. We might have mentioned this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Tubi doesn't uh, keep a watch list either. Netflix does. But uh, I hadn't watched anything on Netflix since I watched, you know, Sandman um, or Resident Evil, which is I'm still, you know, trying to catch up on. Yes, I started watching Resident Evil again. I watched three episodes this week. (laughs) Oh, no. Hey, I'm also uh, watching. Speaking of Resident Evil, uh, if anybody in the audience is a gamer, apparently uh, Dead by Daylight has added albert wesker as the latest killer uh i don't know if that means anything to anybody in the audience but uh, my brother sure is hype about that that was my uh, interruption i I totally melted your brain with that i'm also watching she hulk house of the dragon and uh i almost watched the rings of power last night but i uh stopped and played uh, Shadowrun Returns, and um, a new game of Fallout 4 instead. So I've been very, very scant on gaming time on my console. So it was good to it was good to spend some time just doing stuff. And I and I you know got some information from got some inspiration from uh you know from playing the game so it actually is kind of sort of semi-work related um but then again everything is these days Mm -hmm. uh you watch or read something and it reminds you of something you needed to do reminds you of a note i needed to write down or just reminds me of something new that i hadn't thought about or something that i um something that i can see in a new way uh and for me and i saw somebody else posting this online um they said oh yeah i was going through a bunch of random it's and it's a writer uh it's a sci-fi writer or fantasy writer uh they said oh yeah i was posting a bunch i was uh, going through a bunch of random art uh to get inspiration for stuff and i'm like hey I do that. And I don't know if I've mentioned it on the show. I'm pretty sure I have. But it's been absolutely key to helping me move ahead on projects is just getting into this sort of mental zone state and looking through concept art or pictures or um, follow some photography uh, accounts on Twitter Um, Some accounts post horror pictures or these goth pictures. Um, And anything that's unusually grotesque or unusually beautiful, um, they have a lot of stuff that comes from Eastern Europe that is folklore. uh, there's a photographer named Anna something. I can't remember her name. Um, but she does a bunch of pictures of, you know, beautiful women in traditional dresses with crowns on their head and fabric flowing in the air um, in winter or, you know, women with fairy wings. Um, they do pictures of uh, women uh who are ballet dancers with fairy wings on who are jumping and they have have their wings streaming behind them so it, it genuinely looks like they're flying um or women in a picture with a with a wolf or a bear and all of these things uh and then there's you know pictures of of factories or urban decay that are really beautiful and evocative and all of these things are just, you know, they stand out uh, uh, and point the way to things that I wouldn't have thought of in that specific way before. 
not a vast project that deals in so many different concepts and so many different ideas that any one picture may suddenly illuminate something and made me think, oh yeah, that's a perfect element of the world that I hadn't considered before. But now this picture has, has made me consider it and I'll write that down in a note and start developing and building upon it because inspiration is, is like a little seed. And so you can take that little seed and you can find it anywhere and then you build on top of it. And so it's not, people talk about stealing ideas or whatever. It's not copying if what you do is take a tiny kernel and then elaborate on it and build on top of it and make it your own. Um, and so I have found concept art or, or, you know, you get art that are like um, pictures from different role-playing games or pictures from uh, some of the MMOs have really evocative art. And you can take it and say, you know, without knowing anything about the MMO and just say, okay, I'm going to go in this direction with it because that's what seems, that's what I get out of the picture. Whether or not that's what the artist intended, that's what I get out of the picture. And it's great. Um, and I don't, I'm not saying this would work for everyone. Um, and if it doesn't work for you, you know, if you try it and it doesn't work for you, don't worry. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It just means that's not something that works for you. But I find these things in movies. I find them in books. I find them in, uh, you know, music videos. I got a really cool idea based off of a recent Grimes music video um, where she's dressed up as an elf uh, with, uh, you know, like cybernetic wings. Um, you know, you can find them, you find them wherever you, wherever you find them. And it's, it's a great thing. Um, I would, I wouldn't recommend spending all your day doing it, but you know, whatever you find is whatever you find. And it's, uh, it's really amazing to get, cause here's the thing about artists. I found concept artists, you go to art station or deviant art or whatever and get, uh, getting in the uh, the high tier of artists, especially people from, uh, and I don't mean to denigrate Western artists because they are fabulous people out there. Um, and I've gotten a lot of ideas from people like that, but artists don't care about coloring in the lines a lot of times unless they're working on someone else's IP. And so they come up with these cockamamie pictures that don't mean anything. Um, and I'm thinking of a succubus right now from a video game who has wings on her head and Morgan. green hair. Morgan. That's Morgan yes. from Darkstalkers. Yes. You know, and wings fastened all the way down on her lower back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's just one example. That's not a succubus from Western lore. And it's not a succubus that Western artists who are trying to portray a, a regular succubus that we would think of would ever portray. But that's what a Japanese artist came up with because he's painting outside the cultural lines that we in the West would expect. And so I'm not putting Western artists down, but artists as a whole and this includes western artists too often do things that are just weird that are just weird enough to be outside the lines of what you expect and, and they can spark your imagination in ways that you're not going to expect that if you sit down and try to rationalize the picture if you if it, if it speaks to you if it sparks your imagination and you may not even know why um, you just get like an electric feeling looking at the picture. That's how I know it's something I, I want to think about at least or look at. If, uh, if you look at it and it doesn't make sense, 
sometimes you can't make it make sense in the term of whatever work you're working on. I'm lucky that there almost everything I get fits somewhere because the project is so huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, for other people, you may just want to save it um, and see if it fits someplace else on some other project you're working. But because it doesn't fit within the lines, because it doesn't color within the lines, just forcing it to kind of make sense and having to make up something new, right? Having to make up something new to explain the aberrations in the picture can give you a new perspective on your project and can help you kind of get a bump Uh, towards making your project more novel than it was. People want largely the same old thing with enough novelty to make it seem, um, make it seem new, like something they haven't seen before. Enough to be familiar, to be what they want and what they expect with enough novelty to be, um, to be new and uh novel you know that's kind of circular explanation there but it's the truth and i'm not the only person who said this um I think, in fact i think orson scott card said this um so if you're using pictures that have aberrations from the normal subject matter and you have to explain something that the artist put in that picture that doesn't make sense when you're, you know, doing this straight up normal stuff that can help you find a source of novelty that can help you find a new uh, insight into the subject that hasn't been done before, because you're not trying to do what the artist did. You're not trying to see what the artist saw. You're trying to see what you think when you look at what the artist did. You're trying to come up with something new, right? You're using that picture as a seed and you're building something out of it. You're creating something out of it. You're engaging your creative impulse. Um, And it is exhilarating and it's great to put it in your book, your short story, a script for a movie, a song, whatever. Um, And that's why I like uh, concept art. Uh, you know, and I'm going to give you some names that are that are really obvious names, but Larry Elmore, Louis Royal. I love Louis Royal pictures. I the man is a genius, and I love his sense of darkness uh, and the macabre. Um, uh, and there are just so many other artists. I if I had known I was going to talk about this, I would have gotten a list. Um, but yeah. If you're hard up for inspiration, I would recommend um, I'd recommend just going and looking for just go and search for pictures of what you, know you what? want. Uh, this I don't know if this is too shallow for for your purposes, but I mean, there's been a whole there's a whole website dedicated to just that purpose. Um, it's been used for years. Pinterest. Yes, I uh, use Pinterest a lot. Uh, Pinterest is is a. And I've talked to multiple creative people about this. It's it is one of the ideal ways to do exactly what you're talking about. Put in a search in Pinterest, and you'll be flooded with all sorts of images, and and they'll all be different in some sort of way. Pinterest can uh, Pinterest can be very very useful uh you find an image you like and then look below it they have a bunch of other images that are related to it you know if you if you're looking for a warrior woman you find a good warrior woman picture below it you'll be flooded with sometimes just fabulous warrior woman photos um and uh um 
I just said the name and now I can't even remember it. DeviantArt has some good discoverability features as well. They will show you groups that people had, three groups that people had where they included this picture and, and they uh, have you know gathered a bunch of other similar pictures. They'll show you three artists who do work similar to this and then they'll show you a grid of nine photos that are like this. So there's a lot of different discoverability features uh, in um, DeviantArt as well. So yeah, it's there's stuff out there that will help you do this and I have found both of them to be very fertile um and there's just uh, eve ventru doesn't post as much now since she got hired up to do um consistent work for big name studios but uh but man her her older stuff is is amazing if you want grotesque and macabre pictures for some horror things stefan grizel um, G-R-E-S-E-L-L -L is, uh, is a photographer, and he does the grotesque just so beautifully. It's just awesome. He comes up with some great horror pictures. Um, I really love horror pictures. They, they give you such good ideas for monsters and for... Um, He had one photo that was of a girl who looked like a dryad, but somebody had, uh, in the photo, um, she was very clearly in pain, and, and they had some, uh, part of her legs that were wooden had been wrapped with some barbed wire. And it just spoke to me of a, you know, of a dryad who had come up against a barbed wire fence and gotten entangled. Uh, and immediately that's a character, immediately that's a situation, immediately that's a seed of something that you can see possibilities in, just looking at that picture. I mean, that's gold. But you could use that as something that happens in a fantasy book, uh, something that happens in an urban fantasy book that, you know, or the seed of a short story. Um, and that's what I'm talking about. That's why I think stuff like this is worthwhile. Uh, I'm going to stop talking about this right now because we do have a rest of the show to go to. <laughs> uh, yeah, let, let me say hi to the chat. Uh, good to have people here. Bradford Walker is here. Ovaltine Patrol, that's a new one here. Welcome to the show. Jeffro Johnson, Justin, just getting into that. Miss anything? Oh, we're talking about uh, art inspirations uh, for whatever creative endeavor you're doing. Daddy Warpig's loving um, all sorts of classic artists and even new artists uh, who brings different stuff to the table. And I hope that's a, that's an adequate summary of what's going on. We are sure. just we are just about to get into D&D talks. So um, you guys are here at the perfect time. Hey, Brian Jones. Hey, Marshall Victory. How you doing? Video Mirador. Good to see you. Um, uh, I do want to let's I've already put the link in chat. So let me open up discussion on RPGs about the business. Uh, Bradford C. Walker uh, is a friend of the show, a big, a big fan. We're, we're mutual fans of each other. He has been on a roll with his uh, blog talking about RPGs and the business. Um, there's lots of chatter online about uh, various things, na naturally, uh, Bro SR and Appendix and adjacent. Um, I don't... I don't want to get into too many details because there's so much good stuff in there. His latest uh, article uh, is a response to something Alexander McCreese wrote on, you know, different RPGs and different settings in RPGs. Great article on Boot Hill, uh, old school RPG, how you might play that and, and, and talking about how it's played differently from the way we play most contemporary tabletop rpgs i know that's a little vague i promise uh anybody listening live uh check it out later uh, i'll put it in the video notes bradfordcwalker.blogspot.com and uh, everything he's been writing on the rpgs uh this guy's uh this guy is on his own wavelength that intersects with 
the Macreases, the Broasars, the Jeff Rose of the world. Uh, really good scholarship there. Uh, appreciate that. Cool, interesting, wild stuff is happening in the Twitterverse. Uh, DW, I, I imagine you're familiar with oh. with the new... You, Go ahead. You didn't want to talk about uh, Brad's article and McCreese's article? Brad's article and McCreese's article? I don't know if I can do it justice, but let me let me talk to you about them. Um, McCreese at Arbiter I mean, of Worlds. No, it's too late. I started. No, I was going to say I wanted to talk about him because I read both of them. Oh, do it. You'll do a much better job than I, I would. Um, McCreese's article was basically about niche protection. What he's saying is, is that uh, when you have a party, when you have a group of players sitting at the table, um, the assumption is they're going to be a team and they're going to go out as a team and try to do stuff. And each player at the table is going to want to be uh, the best at something and whatever that is. And the easiest way to make them the best at something is to give them niche protection so that they themselves, you know, one person could be the best uh, swordsman. One person can be the best wizard. One person can be the best tracker, whatever. Uh, and so the game types that thrive when you sell them as RPGs, are those that have strong niche protection. And the types of games that don't sell well are those that don't have strong niche protection. And he, Alexander Macris, at one point, sat down to make a completely realistic Western. So there's no weird West stuff in it. And... There's no even pseudo weird stuff in it, like a bartender who can pour drinks down someone's gullet and, uh, you know, heal them of whatever, or a reverend who can read a chapter and verse and make you be able to shoot better. Uh, absolutely realistic. And when they sat down to play test this, their three play testers all made gunslingers who are really good gunslingers. And nobody really liked the game because... Nobody could excel. Either one person would excel and the other two people would suck, or they all would excel, which uh, per the um, per the uh, Pixar rule in their superhero movie, I paused to let uh, Dornal remind me. The Incredibles. The Incredibles. Per the Incredible Law, when everyone is special, nobody is. Um, and so he didn't, you know, work on it and release it. And then he listed a bunch of, uh, yeah, there's the, there's the money quote there. I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt. There's a money quote in the article. Uh, if we attempt to allow everyone to be the red Baron or Usain Bolt, then the result is that no one gets to be the red Baron or Usain Bolt. If everyone's performance is the same, no one feels successful. I like the Incredibles quote better. <laughs> yep. It was better. <laughs> yes. That's the that's the point of the article. So, and then he lists a bunch of different uh, genres that uh, have this problem, including um, including uh, spies, including um, crime, including westerns, and he says especially westerns and so on and so forth. And then what he says is that these Genres are those without quote unquote magic. And I'm going to use a different term because this is my term. I'm going to call it FX. Now, F slash X is the Hollywood term for special effects. They're all the glitzy, glamoury stuff that goes on screen to make things look cool, right? When you're watching uh, Lord of the Rings and somebody casts a spell, that's FX. Um, when you're watching a werewolf movie and the werewolf shape changes, that's effects. So in role-playing games, anything that breaks mundanity is special effects. That could be psionics, that could be magic, that could be cyberware, uh, that could be high-tech, uh, that could be, you know, cleric, mirac uh, cleric spells or priestly miracles. 
any of this is FX. Even something like the aforementioned bartender pouring drinks down the throat, that's FX. So superpowers for superheroes, FX. So he's using the term magic. I'm going to use the term FX because it's not just magic. It's all these other things. Vampire powers and Vampire the Masquerade, FX. The werewolf shape uh, shape changing and werewolf the uh, apocalypse or Armageddon or whatever it is nowadays, FX. Um, getting FX, he says, the reason why it works and the reason why people like it are because uh, those are a way to introduce a bunch of different niches so people have niche protection. Now, I'm going to give an example that he doesn't quite give or doesn't quite elaborate on in the article, and I'm going to use it uh, from the Western genre to just give some examples of it. Um, Deadlands has a number of different niches that are all created by FX. You have the mad uh, scientist who invents crazy steampunk gadgets. You have a huckster who gambles his soul with the Manitous to cast spells. You have Indian shamans. Um, and you have priests who have miracles. You have um, gunslingers who are really good at guns, and so on and so forth. And all these are templates you can pick from among uh, at the start of the game. And later on, they added Kung Fu masters, uh, all of whom pretty much have supernatural powers except for gunslingers. Um, so you can see where FX easily give the Western genre in Weird West now different niches to play in. And that's the point of his article that you that effects give you a lot of niches so that you have niche protection. Now, Bradford Walker, in his article in response, pointed out a bunch of things and went one way in saying this is what Macris missed. I had two responses to Macris's article to point out what Macris missed. And I have notes on one of them, and I don't have notes on the other. So I'm going to talk about the one I don't have notes on so I can remember it. Um, he said that the only reason why FX were important were because of niche protection. And I want to say that niche protection is not why magic, not why FX are important. FX are important because... The people who play role-playing games read fantasy and science fiction and horror, or they watch those movies, or they play those video games. When they sit down at the table and want to play those games, they want to play, nearly always, games with FX systems. They don't, they want to play urban fantasy. They want to play fantasy medieval games. They want to play, you know, science fiction like star wars or old star wars or you know star trek or whatever they're not here to play completely utterly realistic mundane games that just doesn't scratch the itch of why they're doing a role-playing game so fx are not there primarily for niche protection Niche protection is a nice side effect and does help with the playability of a game. But why people play games is they want their imagination stimulated. They want that wow effect. And that's why effect systems are central to the game. 
So that's my, that's the bit I don't have notes on. So I wanted to get that out while it's still fresh in my mind. Let's go to Brad's article real quick, uh, because I also don't have notes on that. Um, and yeah. I'm going to let Dornall jump on that. Brad's got a great point, and he's been elaborating on it in chat. Once again, um, we love having you guys in chat. And if you're if you're listening to this later, uh, just know that you could be missing out on some good stuff. Uh, Brad focuses on Boot Hill. Uh, Matt Kreese's point, uh, you know, main example was the Western. Everybody wanted to be a gunslinger, just like Daddy Warpig said. And I'm going to paraphrase what the article is saying right here using his own words. Uh, Matt Chris's article is validated within the social norms of TRPG play, which assumes groups playing as teams, working as units against common foes. Um, and you can find that summary in the article. Uh, so based on his experience with uh, domain level play, um, player versus player play. In other words, the Bradford's uh, argument is once you take away the idea of the cohesive group playing together against a, a current, like the A team, you know, as soon as you take that away, that the player characters are the A team and they all have their own individual uh, goals and, and desires that may work at cross purposes at times, then the objection to a game such as Boot Hill or Westerns in general breaks down because you can provide interesting gameable experiences out, you know, that aren't necessarily, I'm a, I'm a gunslinger, you know, you don't need that niche protection. Uh, I, uh, which I found fascinating article really, uh, and it's a valid critique for sure. Um, uh, interesting point. Groups versus common foes is a necessarily linear game. Sure. Uh, sure, Jeffro. Uh, I I do have. I want to put that in context. This isn't exactly an objection to uh, to this point of view. Um, I highly recommend reading the articles uh, because they're uh, if you're interested in RPGs at all, absolutely fascinating. Uh, great scholarship. Um, it's not exactly an objection, but context because uh, when you sit down with your friends and put together a game for the evening, say we're oh we're going to play uh, you know. And a Western, like let's let's play Boot Hill for tonight. And you might be a group of guns for hire protecting a village. You your tonight session might be the Magnificent Seven, or uh, you know you might uh, there might be monsters that took over a silver mine, and so you're hired by a wealthy uh, landowner to go in and clear the monsters out. That sort of thing. Um, many sessions are structured in that way. So there is a level at which, and, and this isn't an argument for niche protection, but it, there is a level at which you do want to play the game cooperatively as a team with a common goal. Uh, because, uh, you know, to, to play against that, to play against each other in session, someone very wise told me in a private conversation, evil play just sucks all the air out of the room. Uh, people people want to people play together. Um, uh, now, I don't have a strong opinion on whether niche protection is important or not, but uh, within within the context of a single game session, and I think that's the thing, uh, I think that's the missing link for modern contemporary role-playing game players and, and their their reaction to the domain player and or the bro SR or, or something like that, because they see that that cooperative play that session play and that's all there is to the game to them all it is is just a weekly monster of the week or villain of the week or dungeon of the week in perpetuity because all they all they care about is is two things either they they enjoy that cohesion that working as a team and i would argue that those are the mature players and then your sort of typical immature player uh just they just want to see their character you know they want to play Superman. You know they want to play Achilles and and or Gandalf, and they want to blow stuff up. That's uh, that's the sort of thing that they. But that's to them that's the only game they see. Um, so like I said, I I don't. That's not exactly a critique because because uh, I think Daddy Warpig and Bradford Walker are spot on, um, and so is Macreese when you look at it in his perspective. 
but just to put it in the broader context, I think uh, I think maybe the the different the different perspectives on this debate are actually talking about slightly different games. So I want to flip it around in a different way. Um, you, you, I mean, I you, should, correct. you should put you should put it you should put the thing down, flip it, and reverse it. Um, Brad is talking about a Bronstein style game, um, where everyone at the table is playing their own little um, power faction with its own goals. Some of whom may coincide with other people, some of whom may not. Um, and for a real live example of that, watch Brovenloft in October, although actually it started already. Um, no sooner did people start picking out factions and faction leaders than it started. So uh, if you want to take a look at the Brovenloft hashtag on Twitter, that's running already oh yeah we're, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that but go ahead the uh my response to macris uh, and this is what i posted in the trilopolis uh to the tropolis people is this uh, and i do want to elaborate on it but uh, i'm going to read myself for a bit because uh hey uh i'm brilliant one of the problems is that i would money McCreese translated realistic into skills based if you want niche protection you build classes gunslinger law dog gambler tracker those would be a quick four off the top of my head design classes make them great at what they do make what they do useful and you have your niches fits with westerns as well Look to Tombstone and Young Guns for examples of, quote, RPG group play. I'm sure there's others. So let's go through those four classes. This is what I was thinking when I came up with them. Gunslinger is a combat class who's great in one-on-one -on -one confrontations. That's what he does. He's great in duels. Now, he's useful in, in other combat, in widespread combat but he's most useful in duels because that's what gunslingers are and you can give him some other you know skills commensurate with whatever you think a gunslinger is good at uh social skills intimidation um whatever law dog is a character who is uh a character class that i would see is good at you know decent at, at fire combat maybe but really good at unarmed combat because policemen were not renowned for getting in shootouts. In fact, they wanted to avoid shootouts as much as possible. Wyatt Earp, in his entire career as a West, as a, a lawman in, in all those cattle towns in, in Kansas and other places, he only ever shot one man. And his signature move was to hit someone with the butt of his pistol behind their ear and knock them out. In fact, that was so his signature move that became known throughout the West as erping. To erp someone was to knock them on the back of the head and knock them unconscious. So as a class, a law dog is someone with, um, usually with law enforcement powers who is really good at knocking people out and or grappling them to the ground in order to put handcuffs on them, uh, punching people in the faces and generally dealing in non-lethal combat. So that's his niche. And remember, I just came up with these off the top of my head. I wasn't thinking this through. I'm not saying this makes a playable or shippable game. I'm just trying to answer McChris's objection that you can't do niche protection in a realistic Western game. I mean, maybe you can't if it's skill-based, but if it's class-based, well, here you are. Gambler is, in my mind, the thief class of the setting, where, yes, you can gamble and stuff, but you're also dealing cards off the bottom of the deck. You're also, you know, palming things. You're a... Uh, 
pickpocket um, and uh, slide a hand. You can pick locks. So as a gambler, and, and a lot like AD&D, these classes are for uh, rarefied people. They're for, you know, people who can gain levels and everybody else is stuck at less than first level. Um, but yeah, the gambler is kind of the thief class. And then the other class I had was a tracker. And everybody knows what a tracker is in terms of a Western, right? Stereotypically, they're Indians, Native Americans are trackers. They follow sign, they find people, but in addition, in town, trackers are the one who tell you, oh yeah, this guy got out of the jail here, and you follow their steps across town and said, oh, he went into the back of the saloon. Um, so whether they're an Indian or, or a white man, it doesn't matter. They are uh, basically analogous to the ranger class, right? Um, and they are also wilderness men, they uh, mountain men uh, in the setting. They know animals, they know hunting, they know survival. Very useful in a Western because, you know, like, uh, like AD&D, you spend a ton of time wandering through the wilderness in search of things, tracking down cattle rustlers going finding uh, uh whatever is on this map where people have hidden uh gold or people have a map to a mine that they think is going to be a rich uh or a cave they think is going to be a rich load i don't know what westerns he's seen or is thinking about but what you have to do is look at the stereotypes, stereotypical characters in a Western. Pick the stereotypes you want and make classes out of them. So these were just four I came up with off the top of my head. Four niches that are different from each other and you can build protection. Another one I thought of while I was doing this as a soldier and a soldier is a all-around fire combat generalist. They don't do good in duels, but they do good in you know mass combat. And maybe they have some, uh, you know, mass combat benefits. Um, they do good in, in big shootouts where you have a team and a bunch of bad guys all on the roofs. That's a soldier because that's what they practice. And that's another niche you could do. Um, and I'm thinking law dog is kind of analogous to a paladin because um, they have a mission. They're literally a law dog. They're, you know, kind of the paladin of the, of the old West. Um, so yeah, you can absolutely do niche protection in a realistic Western and the way uh, to do it is to pick classes because that's what classes are designed for. They're designed to identify niches, create a role-playing experience around them that is different from the experience of playing other classes and build them into the game. So I think he's wrong. Um, just as a matter of game design, of mechanics. And that would be my response to his article. Well said. And, and that succinctly sort of uh, explains my distaste for skill-based systems in my mind. Uh, because uh, I have experienced that same thing. Uh, for example, playing a game that may be about piloting giant robots. Well, I don't see why I would make a character, any other character besides one that was really good at piloting giant robots. 
and if you don't have classes and you don't have different roles that provide something to the to the game, that's what you get. You get uh, good point. And I, I would just like to finish this before we talk about Broven Law by saying we have uh, we have an example of a game that's balanced for unbalanced character classes, and, and that's Rifts. Um, they have a ton of character classes, one of whom has a giant mech um, that does, you know, vast amounts of mega damage. And this is in the base book. This is Power Creep later. And then you have other character classes who are compared to the giant robot class. Just will never shine in combat as much as it will. But that robot can't go in a city. That robot can't go into, um, you know, underground complexes. That robot can't do everything. And so, yeah, it's useful in a lot of situations, but it's not useful in every situation. And everyone else uh, just gets used to doing their thing while that giant robot does its thing. Now, I've never played Rifts. I've always wanted to. I, I have desperately wanted to play Rifts, but I've never had the chance to. Every chance I've had to play Rifts has blown up in my face. Um, I don't mean that personally. I just mean, you know, I had a chance to at a gaming club at a university once, and the game kind of fell apart for uh, the, the person who was going to game master it uh, had a problem at work, and so he had to drop out. I had a friend who was going to run it, and then he had some problems, and he had to drop out. I just every chance I've had has hit problems like that. So, yeah, just perfect balance where every character is the same as every other character. Uh, just is not. Um, this is not a not a thing. It just doesn't uh, exist, and it doesn't have to exist. I'm done. All done. Um, you would, do you want to do another pre, you would preview Brovenloft? Uh, yeah, let's talk everyone. about Brovenloft. It's 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 a little early, but ne it's never too early for the nut jobs in the Brosr. Um, I don't even remember how it started. All I know is that in chat. Uh, they were talking, I, I, it comes off of the module discussion online. Lots of people uh, are passionate about modules and whether they're useful or, or good in RPGs. We don't need to get into that, but there, there's a sense that Ravenloft uh, is sort of a missed opportunity. Um, you know, the, the original Ravenloft was just sort of a dungeon. And uh, after that, like in second edition, it was a full-fledged, setting that all fluff and no uh, not a lot of uh, gameable content very much story gaming style so the brosar decided to do their own ravenloft and they're going to do it in brosar style with uh the set of patrons similar to jeffro's um, brownstein experiment and so there is already so much excitement about it we're we're still a month out and people have been coming up with crazy patrons the gimmick accounts are all over twitter um the patrons are already um sniping at each other <laughs> and trying to recruit players or or form alliances and everything like that before this has even started uh, I don't even know if the game master's drawn out the map yet, the sort of the the map that they're going to be competing over. Uh, but uh, it's already really exciting. We have a uh, Hangsta wrapper, the uh, the ancient mummy uh, who speaks in rhyme and founder of the disc track. He is nonstop. Anybody who interacts with him, uh, gets dissed in rap, in in rhyme. It's absolutely nuts. Um, 
I'm, I can't spoil some of the other ones because they haven't been as active, but we've got uh, Der Erlbronig, uh, the the elf or the fairy king of the Unseelie court. And who else do we have? So anyway, tons of, uh, oh, and of course, Count Strahd von Count, uh, who's, who's, who's good at counting things. I, I'm going to let you sort of fill in the rest mentally. Hilarious. He, uh, he is looking for one, one lost love. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good stuff. Um, I don't know what else to say about it. You're just going to have to stay tuned because there's going to be a lot more to come. Um, it just got started. And here's a, here's a spoiler, uh, not spoiler, here's a reveal first time. We went back to, uh, or I went back to my patron in the Trollopolis campaign, and this is the the glory and the genius of random tables, uh, which is, I discovered at the end of the month of August, my kingdom beset by werewolves. Isn't that a coincidence? <laughs> Uh, this is going to be this is going to be like a multi-game, multi-setting event. Um, everybody's going to have a lot of fun on it. If you if you like the Brosars antics or or just D and D stuff in general, um, check out the hashtag Brovenloft uh, and Brosar. Um, they're just doing cool stuff. And we're going to have more details. Uh, we're probably going to have more a lot more details a month from now when when it really kicks off. That's all I have to say about it. I know I'm I know I'm being a little vague, but yeah, I, I don't have much more to add to it than than that, uh, except the the machinations that really mark uh, what a Bronstein is have already started. People are already um, people are already picking sides people are already choosing allies or uh enemies um i think the i think the idea originally was to have these different patrons each create the best dungeon they could and then have other people with player characters come in And see which dungeon was the most fun. Um, and ironically, Jeffrey, and ironically, for coming out of out of the idea that modules are stupid and useless for games, <laughs> each patron uh, that fulfills that goal will have written the equivalent of a module. <laughs> just throwing that out there just in case you hadn't noticed <laughs> um but uh jeffro says in an offhand comment at one point and i don't know how accurate this is that there were 30 or 40 different uh patrons 30 or 40 different faction leaders i don't know if that's true or not from observing things on Twitter, I got the feeling there were like 15 to 20. So I don't know if he's trying to to gaslight us uh, or whatever, but that's the feeling I got. We've got uh, Werewolf McQuaid and uh, Pope Pius Thirteenth. Werewolf McQuaid, it looks like it's a Chuck Norris-themed werewolf. Sounds good. Uh, Kursova's playing gangster rapper. Uh, that's that's gonna. I wonder how that's gonna affect submissions next time he's looking for our authors. Some people oh, are making awesome. some people are make, making accounts. Since where does he get all this nonstop uh, meme art of mummies doing stupid things like dabbing or rapping? Uh, this guy's. If you want to know, if you want a master class in how to get into character and and goof off on Twitter, 
uh, for a theme. Kursova is the account to follow. Holy cow! And this isn't this isn't only a Twitter thing. The Twitter is where everybody's sort of advertising and 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 shit talking and and whatever. Uh, there, I, I can't wait to find out the results of the actual game. Um. Yeah, let me. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, if if uh, if, but if you want to see what's going on, just check out the uh, uh, Twitter ha Twitter hashtag if you want to see the the characters. But you know, we're gonna keep track of this on Geekab. We're gonna be playing too. In fact, I've got a werewolf problem now, so I'm gonna need some help from PCs. Um. Yeah. Hey, DW, we're, we're, we're about out of time. Any last thoughts? I have lots of thoughts. Um, but, yeah, nothing that we should follow up with. My, my main thought is we didn't even get to the movies, and that's fine. Uh, Don't watch movies. Play role-playing games instead. No, I don't have time. <laughs> Seriously, I'm I'm shocked for time. Uh, Spending all those plates. People keep on asking me, specifically uh, John Del Rose, who was in the chat. I don't know if he's still in the chat. Uh, He's gone silent, so he might have left. Um, but uh, things are coming along very, very rapidly on the project. And I just, I've tried not to talk about it at all. Um, but today was unavoidable because of just that. Uh, uh just the topic of of art and how useful it is for inspiration required me to talk about it um but for those who are actually interested in in what in the fact that i'm working on something and the fact that i'm working on uh it is getting more and more getting closer and closer to some sort of release and I don't know when that is, but things are, are progressing in a beautiful and amazing direction. And I hope to have good news uh, any month now. <laughs> <laughs> any month now. Yeah, like you'd expect any day now to be up to a month. So any month now is, you know, don't expect it soon. But, yeah. Sounds good. It, well, it, well, is, it has it has not kept you with a shortage of interesting stuff to talk about on the show. I know, right? Um. Every time I, I hit something new or whatever, it, it uh, all these game theory things I keep on talking about, all these game design stuff I'm talking about, comes from insights I get from working on this. So, you know, it's like the uh, moon program. Um, it's... Uh, uh, the dividends from doing it justify doing it, even if there were no other advantages, which there are. So it's coming along and I'm working hard every day. Um, yeah, that's all I have to say for today. Sounds good. Uh, I had a great show today. Awesome talking about, you know, I love talking about D&D. &D. 
and and gaming in general and everything else. Uh, really excited to have everyone in the chat. Once again, I, uh, I'll make sure it's in the show notes later. Uh, check out uh, Arbiter of Worlds, Alexander Macreese's Substack, and BradfordCWalker.blogspot.com. Uh, if you like RPGs, you're going to love reading these guys. Um, do check out the the BroSR on Twitter um, or Brovenloft, if only for a few laughs. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, and I hope everybody listening later really enjoyed the show. But I'm signing off for this week, DW. Take it away. Um, and one of the things uh, that John meant to also mention, uh, because he does pretty regularly, Arbiter of Worlds, the substack is named after uh, McCreese's book, Arbiter of Worlds, um, which uh, has a bunch of great uh, information and stuff about uh, role-playing games in general. Um, it's only $4.99 on Amazon, uh, and John is not getting any money for this, uh, uh, for this book out, <laughs> for this endorsement. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I you bought a copy. It's great. Uh, you should definitely check that out. Um, and you can ask, uh, Daddy Warpick, have you read this book? And my answer is no, I'm just doing, I'm just helping a bro out here. <laughs> I'm just seeing what he would have said if he had remembered it. Um, <laughs> this is teamwork, folks, right here and now. Because bros help brother bros out. This is, um, a, this is a two-man group with a common purpose and a common goal of stamping out gross nerds and bad gaming. Oh, especially bad gaming. Oh. No gaming is better than bad gaming. No. I'm not going to talk about this. We don't have time enough for me to go on a rant. I want to go on a rant. <laughs> I'm, I'm stopping. I'm stopping. It's done. We're over. We're not doing it. Not today. Not today. <laughs> not today. We'll, we'll save the rant for next week. I was almost done. It. I was going to rant. I feel ranty now. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for turning in to Geek Cab. We want to say a special thanks to everyone who turned in live to participate in the awesome chat. You really ought to come to the site. Uh, those of you who are listening later and read through the chat, it was quite uh, the discussion and experience and a lot of things that uh, add a new perspective on the show. Um, we are here just about every week uh, at uh, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, on youtube.com slash geekgab. That is youtube.com slash geekgab. Or you can catch us at the uh, iTunes store at uh, the soundcloud.com or on the Google Play store just to a search for geekgab. We are available on the device of your choice or on the web, or you can download us to your computer. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being proud patrons of our show. We are signing off for today, but don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.